Well, Jesus welcomes you and we welcome you. And let's see, I'm going to have to click up there probably. I'll probably turn it on first. My audiovisual folk are way ahead of me. I have a little clock that I can look at now and all kinds of things. So I um, won't keep you too long. Next week, we will continue with this series in Zechariah. But after that, we have just some highlights. You've heard these now time and time again, but I find that we really can't tell people too many times about upcoming events. 9-11 tribute, 20 years. We'll have an event here at 11. Our service will start at 11. Be a little different that week. And then at 2 p.m., the Yellow Ribbon Committee is also having a service out at Memorial Veterans Park, McCamley Park, right across the street here. So we're kind of joining together to honor our uh, patriots, those who have fought for our country, the firemen, police, first responders, and military. If you're military, come that week uh, dressed in your uniform. We'd love that. Um, Pretty much everybody will be doing that. All right. Then Changing People's Lives, that's a ministry out of California that goes into communist countries, unreached countries in unique ways. And some of your... Excuse me, remember when they came before, and uh, he's got some tremendous stories, always. Then the footsteps of Jesus, Tony Moore. We're so grateful to have Tony coming again to share with us about biblical archaeology. It's going to be tremendous, and that'll be right before Jesus on Prophecy. That's October 1 with Paul Punch. Paul was here a few months ago, some of you may remember. Tremendous preacher, very clear. Um, The Lord has given him a gift. He's, of course, spiritual and preaches the gospel, which is, of course, so important to us. All right. We continue in our series, Unfinished Business, and this is the last of the eight visions, Christ as priest and king. But first, a little health nugget, so to speak. And this is on probiotics and immune health. This is the disclaimer, always ask your doctor, but do your own homework, amen? Uh, Just like maybe you shouldn't always trust your pastor, you should go to the Word. Maybe you shouldn't always trust your doctor. Maybe you should learn uh, your body for yourself. All right, what is not your best defense? Well, uh, doing yoga in a hazmat suit with a mask like this, probably not the best defense. Experimental vaccine? That's not the best defense. The best defense is what God does through your body. Amen? God gave us a health message. In fact, it was called the what? The right arm, right? (laughs) It opens doors. That's what God has called us to, is to build our immune system from the inside out. And God will help you do that as you listen to him about your body. Sickness should be rare instead of common if we just knew our own bodies, right? And sometimes you do, right? You can remember a time when it's like, I knew I should have done or shouldn't have done, but better to follow. So pure whole foods, Um, de-stress, right? Stress is a huge killer in this world. So de-stress, go out and take a walk with your child or grandchild Exercise, right? Exercise is crucial. A lot of the coronavirus is respiratory based, so we need exercise. We need to get our lungs in good shape. 
Of course, drinking water. Super important. And not just drinking water, right? But water can be used for treatments. Ask Shirley Finneman after the service. She'll tell you all about it or some of the, the rest of us. But simple stuff like contrast showers. Uh, just, just your immune system just blossoms with stuff like that. About three minutes hot. And I mean hot, don't scald yourself. But I mean, it's like getting a little uncomfortable under there. And then about a half a minute cold. And I mean, as cold as, and you can get a real good contrast shower in Michigan. That's one thing I can tell you. In Florida, not so much. You get the hot, but you never, it never really gets cold. But that will just supercharge your immune system. So there are things God has given us, sunshine and fresh air. So if you go out and jog, right, you're getting exercise, you're getting sunshine and fresh air. This is California. I'm not sure how fresh the air is there, but we have pretty good air here. So uh, go out and enjoy it. And temperance, right? You don't have to eat the whole thing. Um, that's what I keep telling myself. All right. So, and then sleep, right? Now, this is one this week. Hmm. Ah, no. After 12, I think three days. Um, and that's unusual for me. I'm usually uh, not a, sort of a late bird, but not that late. But uh, you got to get your sleep, right? These are the things that will help build your immune system. Sleep is best in 1.5 hour increments. Nine hours is great. 7.5 is, is really great. Um, the other in there is good too. Eight hours, if you can get eight hours, fantastic. All right, and of course, because we used new start, it's at the end, but it really should be at the beginning, right? Trust in God. He's got his promises. He's got you covered, Amen. The angel of the Lord does what? Encamps around those that fear him and does what? Delivers them, right? God will be before you. Claim that promise every morning. I claimed it. You know what? I need to start claiming it for y'all again because I was claiming it every, every day for y'all. That in John 17, 11, where Jesus is praying to the Father and he says, Father, keep them, guard them. That's just a few of many, many promises. All right, Probiotics. So you can get probiotics from certain foods. Most of them are fermented type foods. But this is about probiotics and vitamin D especially because the jury is not out. The higher your level of vitamin C, the lower your risk of flu and virus. There have been 15-year longitudinal studies in Germany that have proved this. It's not a, well, I don't know if this is doing me any good. No, no, it's doing you good. You got to take vitamin D. There are times... In Michigan, <clears throat> which is the fall and winter, that the angle of the sun does not allow us to, there's no way you, you can try to find sun and try to stand out in it. You can't get enough sun. Um, so you, you really need to supplement vitamin D. But just taking the supplement isn't enough. Your microbiome which is in your mouth and your gut, needs to be in a proper order to assimilate the vitamin D. All right. Wow, that white doesn't show up that great, does it? I can't even read it. <clears throat> um, probiotics are part of a larger picture um, about food, good and bad. I'll just kind of make it up as I go. Anyway, probiotics, because <laughs> I can't read it. Probiotics are, there's, so there's good bacteria, right? And bad bacteria, but there's good bacteria that's part of your probiotic makeup. In your gut, 70% of your immune system is 
is through this microbiome, right? So it's super important. You've got to keep it in good shape. Uh, our microbiome is directly related is directly related to our levels of active vitamin D. They did a study of 179 guys, males in San Diego, UC San Diego. It's a part of it's a medical school there in San Diego. <clears throat> and they get lots of sun there. So you think, oh, they could, they'd be great. Well, on the precursor vitamin D, they were great. But on the active level, they were not great because of their microbiome. They gave them a probiotic and then they had levels um, that were tremendous um, on the active level. So it's not how much your body gets necessarily. Um, oh, a doctor in California used to teach at Loma Linda. I'm drawing a blank on his name. Anyway, he suggests 10,000 international units in the fall and winter, um, and then about 6,000 the rest of the time. So that's just an idea. And that's what I've been taking um, for a while. And I know several of us, some are, some are taking a little more than that. But it's not how much your body gets, it's how well it's metabolized. So make sure that your uh, system is in good working order, your gut and so forth, so you can metabolize that. And have what God wants for you, which is life and life more abundantly. And may your joy be full. Let's pray. Father in heaven, now as we turn to your holy word, please send your spirit. Teach us, Lord. And Lord, please bring your scriptures to life before our very eyes. Take this man out of the way that the man, the man Christ Jesus might be beheld before our eyes. This we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. All right. We are going to Zechariah chapter 6. Um, if you're not there, turn there. Actually, I may take you somewhere else first, but turn there. Let's see if you can find it. So Zechariah, uh, we've been through this before, but if you're new here, if you go to Matthew and go back through Malachi, and then you'll find Zechariah, the next book, back. That's probably the easiest way to find it. All right. <clears throat> Now, what we have in these eight visions that we've been studying is a chiastic structure, which means, so there, in this case, there's eight of them. So the first vision and the eighth vision have parallel items in them. And the second and the seventh and the third and the sixth, and then the fourth and the fifth also. So they all have sort of, sort of parallel um, material in them. That is a chiasm or a chiastic structure. And so this last one is Christ crowned as king. That is, when you look at the whole chapter of chapter 6, which is what we're going to look at, the very first one showed us God's sovereignty. There was a horse and a rider, and this red horse rider was none other than Christ. He was in the, the low valley area with his people among the myrtle trees. And the myrtle trees, when you, when you take the leaves and just crush them a little, there's a sweet smell. And so God can give us a sweet disposition in even the hardest times, in even the low valleys of life. So we will see that. Another way to put the middle visions is the only difference here, I believe. There was in chapter 4, redemption accomplished. 
In chapter 5, redemp- or in, I'm sorry, in the fourth vision, redemption accomplished. In the fifth vision, redemption is applied. Very important to have those two aspects together. A few parallels from vision 1 and vision 8. And we will go to this <clears throat> Zechariah 6 here in just a moment. So in both of them, you're going to see horses and riders the difference is in, chap- in this last vision, chapter 6, vision 8, you're going to see chariots. Big difference. We'll get to what that means. In both cases, angels are on the move. They're like, can we go to and fro throughout the whole earth? That phrase is in both vision 1 and vision 8. Uh, you'll see nations versus God's people. So there's this, there's this contrast. There's something going on with all the nations but there's something going on with God's people, and it's, it's contrasting, right? In the first vision, the nations are at ease. They're like, yeah, we're just cruising. But God's people are troubled. In the last vision, though, God wins, amen? And God's people win with him. In the last vision, God's people are at rest, and God is at rest. The nations are in trouble, shall we say. <clears throat> we'll see that. There's comfort to Zion and rest to God. The Bible and the Bible alone is our rule of faith. Can I hear you say amen? It's the Bible that we must be getting into our hearts and minds. Don't go to other sources first. That's cheating, (laughs) right? Go to your Bible first and see what the Lord has to tell you through your Bible. And then go to all the other amazing sources that we have Uh, to go to. But in case when we looked at Zechariah chapter 5, you're thinking, hmm, that kind of sounds familiar. Well, it's because it is familiar. It's also repeated in Revelation 17. So actually go there with me first. Revelation 17. And thank you for the scripture reading and the call to worship, which is from Revelation 14 and Revelation 19. Now we're going to 17. For those of you that weren't here last week, we looked at this amazing vision that Zechariah had. And he saw this ephah, this big measuring basket, right? And what was inside the basket? Remember, a woman, right? A woman was inside the basket. Now, what is a woman doing inside of a basket that should hold grain or something? I mean, it's just crazy. She should not be there we saw that this basket represented commerce or the economy. And a woman represents the church. And so, and then in the next verse, it says, this is wickedness. So it's not a good church. It's a bad church. It's a wicked church inside of the economy. We looked at the economy de Francis, who is of course, the papacy, and they're all into the economy. What is a church doing telling the world how to run the economy? But that's exactly what's happening, and that's exactly what we saw in Zechariah. And then it's carried off to storks with the wind in their wings, carry it off to Babylon. And of course, Babylon has just all these different shades of meaning we could go into, but the one we focused on was the original Babylon back in Genesis 10 and 11. The one that Nimrod founded, where he said, let us make us a name by building this tower that we should not be what? 
scattered. In other words, he wanted everybody together. I would have said that we not be flooded out again like last time and die in a deluge. That's not what he said. He said that we not be scattered. That was his purpose. A one world order that he was trying to maintain. Of course, God broke that up. This is all a little review from what we looked at in Zechariah 5 and accompanying scriptures last time. In Revelation 17, and I've got my new King James here this morning. usually have the authorized, but uh, went a little different this time. It says this, And one of the seven angels who had seven bulls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot. So now we have this woman again. We looked in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 also last time about this wickedness that wants to sit upon a throne. But here the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. It's peoples with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So you've got the kings, the inhabitants, many peoples, judgment on the great whore as it's called here or harlot which again is speaking of none other, the same power we talked about last time, which is the papacy. It's not about the people. I love people. I work with people all the time um, from this particular denomination, but uh, it's about the teachings that are anti-Christian. Going on, verse 3, he carried me away, in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting upon a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy. Blasphemy, that is sitting in the place of God when you are not God, right? That's what Jesus was accused of wrongly, but that's what it is. Or believing or saying that you can forgive sins when there's only one that can forgive sins. The man, Christ Jesus So this woman is sitting on or using something to carry her. We see the papacy, we see apostate Protestantism here also as the woman carries, having seven heads, ten horns. I'm just going through quickly now, golden cup of abominations in her hand, a name on her head, mystery, Babylon the Great. And it's not just Babylon, but she has children, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. She's drunk with the blood of the saints. Unfortunately, this system, the Dark Ages, there were many, many killed. Some estimate 50 million were killed during that time of the Dark Ages. And you can read on and on about the atrocities that took place during that time. Going on, Then you have a sort of a running history of these nations that have come and gone. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, king of the north, king of the south. Then you have pagan Rome and papal Rome. Don't have time to go in all that, but I'm just uh, giving you sort of a summary. These are some of the same things we saw in Zechariah 5. Ten horns are ten kings. I'm at verse 12 now. And these all end up having one mind. They're all about the same thing. And that's good when the thing is a righteous thing. 
but not good when the thing is a wicked thing. And that is unfortunately the direction as they become one and sell out completely to this beast power. Down to verse 15, the waters, you have some definitions there. Waters are peoples, multitudes, ten horns, saw on the beast, will hate the harlot. So at first, they're really behind her all the way, but not at the end. And same with the merchants of the earth. They turn on Babylon because they see finally the truth, but they see it too late. Chapter 18 then goes into the fall of Babylon. Now this is in a special time period. This is in the time period of the latter reign, right? When great grace is upon the church. You know, some look at the story. In fact, we studied it in our Bible study recently of Ananias and Sapphira, right? And it seemed kind of strong. Um, you know, <clears throat> they, you know, they didn't give all the money and they were swept off their feet and, and left out. But in a time of great grace, God has a greater expectation on his people, right? And, um, and that's what we see That's what we see here in the time of the latter reign. This is when all the kings are congealing together. Uh, You see that in verse 3. They've been drunk with the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. Now we're talking about a worldwide thing happening here, which is what I believe is referred to in Zechariah. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her delicacy. Very interesting. And yet God is calling. God is calling, come out. Come out, my people, verse 4. Moving on from verse 9 and onward, the world mourns Babylon's fall and much because of the effect on the economy. And you see a lot of different goods, over 20 different goods, verse 11 and onward uh, through 13 list that they can no longer buy or sell. It's, it's the world, the economy is not going well anymore. And this is connected with the beast. And we saw in Zechariah that this woman is inside of commerce. Interesting, the last part of verse 13 you see all these different ones, iron, marble, cinnamon, incense. It's like, oh, that's all kind of interesting, but somewhat random maybe. And the last one's pretty interesting. The bodies and souls of men. What is that all about? Human trafficking possibly? Could be. Certainly sounds like it. Going on, they've been made rich by Babylon, but the plagues will come, and in one hour, their riches will all come to naught. One hour in prophetic time is 15 days. So it's a short period of time, but it's going to be a, a very trying period of time. But praise the Lord, when the seven last plagues fall, we will be protected. Amen? We won't be raptured away, but we'll be protected within. A thousand shall fall at thy side, ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Psalm 91. Goes on. 
verse 21 and onward. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea. Thus with violence, the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and not be found anymore. No voices of musicians, no brides and bridegrooms talking, no lamps being lit or lit. And going down to verse 23, the last part of that, I'll read the whole verse. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore, and the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in you anymore, for your merchants were the great men of the earth. This is interesting. For by your sorcery, all nations were deceived. Now this is talking about the beast sorcery, not the, not the great men of the earth who were the merchants but I wonder where the connection is there. And that word sorcery, anybody know what that is in the Greek? It's pharmakia, which of course has to do with pharmaceutical. That's what the word means. This is referring to the beast. So maybe you don't want to go too far with it. But I will share one statement with you from the spirit of prophecy that I find very interesting. It says this, It says, Satan's work has been the same since the days of Adam to the present, and he has pursued it with great success. So if he's got a work going on and it's really successful, I want to know what it is so I can stay as far away from it as possible. Amen? And here's what it is. Tempting men to do two things. Distrust God's love, right? And how many times through situations in our lives, that's what the devil tries to do, right? Well, God doesn't love you. Look what happened. I mean, you had this happen and that happened. You think God loves you? If he loved you, he wouldn't let that happen, would he? Oh, don't listen to him. That's lies. To distrust God's love and to do what? What does the second one say? Come on now. Doubt is wisdom, Right? distrust his love and doubt his wisdom. I don't think, I mean, I know he's smart, but this one, I'm not sure. That's what he's trying to get us to do, right? And he's been very successful and his work hasn't changed. But in the great closing work of the rebellion, the powers of evil will unite in a desperate struggle to work out their deceptive plans to lead souls to ruin. And who will unite? Ministers, that's me, or I'm one of them, I'm not in this picture. (laughs) Ministers and physicians and men in positions of trust as lawmakers. I read this and I'm like, what? I mean, I understand false, you know, ministers and I, obviously lawmakers, but physicians, how did that get in there? Ministers, physicians, men in positions of trust as lawmakers will unite in this work of rebellion. At this time, a very decided work of character building should be going forward among our people. That's you and me. We are to develop before the world the characteristics of the Savior. It is impossible to please God without the exercise of genuine sanctifying faith. We need to be accepting the faith of Jesus and appreciating that faith as we go along. All right, well, that's just something for your pure minds to contemplate.
As you look at a last day scenario, you have the gospel going forward in power and latter rain power. You have a sealing, shaking process. Kings, merchants, and beasts congealing the final and full display of Antichrist, the final and full display of Christ. A sealing is completed. Then you have seven last plagues. I'm just giving you a chronology going right on down. This is big picture stuff here. Don't expect you to remember it. But then you have seven last plagues, then the second coming, then the millennium, right? A thousand years. Then you have a third coming. It's important that I point that out to you because we're going to look at it a little bit today from Zechariah. All right. And so we move on. Zechariah 6, 1 through 8. We have a scene here of judgment followed by the coronation of Christ And that's just what thrilled my soul as I studied this week to share this with you. Zechariah 6, 1 through 8, however, is a scene of judgment. He turns, raises his eyes, and looks, and behold, four chariots. So we can, of course, imagine that there are horses pulling these chariots. And we'll we'll see that later, of course, there is. But four chariots, now this is speaking of strength. And four, of course, is symbolic of completeness, right? The four winds, the four corners of the earth. Uh, That's speaking of a complete thing that's happening here. So four uh, is that, and chariots is strength from between two mountains. Now, in the Hebrew, it says the two mountains. That's a definite article. An indefinite article is a two mountains. you know, any two mountains. No, this is the two mountains, as if they're famous or known. Now, this is certainly includes the Mount of Olives, Mount Olivet, um, and possibly Mount Zion, but it also could be the Mount of Olives split into. Did you know that takes place? It does in uh, Zechariah chapter 14. But let's just read this to the Four chariots were coming from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. Again, a symbol of strength. Go with me to Zechariah 14. You're right there in Zechariah. Let's just quickly look at it because it's an interesting passage. And some people read this and say, see there, he does touch the earth when he comes. Well, yeah, but which coming are we talking about? The second or the third? right? Because the third, he comes down and his feet do touch the Mount of Olives. That baby splits in two. There's this humongous valley, right? And that's where the holy city comes down and lands, right? Um, All that's in Revelation 20 and 21. Hopefully that's not new to you. But look at verse, chapter Zechariah 14, verse 4. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. All of it. There's the very same place where he ascended, right? Is the place where he will return the third time as, as when he touches the ground, <clears throat> when the holy city comes down. The Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in what? Split in two. Could this be the two in Zechariah 6? I'm not making a dogmatic statement. It's either that or it's all of it and Mount Zion, but two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall be moved north and half to the south. Then it tells them to flee from my mountain valley. But this is 
pointing forward to the third coming after the millennium. Now, something else you have to know about Scripture and about this prophetic um, stuff that we're looking at, much of Messianic uh, prophecy in the Old Testament was what could have been. You look at the end of Isaiah. That's stuff that God wanted to fulfill for Israel. But they said, nope. So he couldn't. But it still has uh, some application to us today, and that's what we're looking at here. So back to chapter 6, and we see this, these chariots of bronze, a symbol of strength, and they're just coming down um, for judgment as we read verse 2 and onward. With the first were red horses, second were black, third were white horses, with the fourth were dappled or strong steeds. Then I answered and said unto interpreting angel, what are these, my Lord? Or maybe this is the angel of the Lord. Two possibilities here. The angel answered me and said, I believe it was interpreting angel probably here. These are four spirits of heaven which go out from their station before the Lord of the whole earth. Now, spirits are often spoken of as angels, right? Hebrews 1. Are they not all ministering spirits? It says, I might even have that scripture here in our slide. Uh, But that's what we have here. We have this, um, these four spirits or four angels that are going out in the final judgment on earth. This is from Desire of Ages 8.33. It says this, from this mountain, in case you wonder if I'm right, you can at least look to this book, Desire of Ages. We're not to this chapter yet, but we'll get there in our study. The church is studying this. From this mountain, speaking of all of it, he was to ascend to heaven. The book of Acts, chapter one, right? Upon its summit, his feet will rest when he shall come again. And that's what that says. So that is, again, speaking of the third coming. Zechariah sees a great worldwide scene of judgment. All the enemies of God are so thoroughly defeated and his people so thoroughly victorious that God can rest. Let's look at that as we read. Continue, verse 6. So the angel tells him who these, uh, he asks, who are these? And he says, these are four spirits of heaven that go forth from their station to all of the earth. The one with the black horses goes to the north country. The white are going after them. Of course, all of this is in relation to Israel or Jerusalem. There is no east or west because west was the Mediterranean Sea. Enemies never came from there. East was the Arabian Desert, and that would be a a bad way to come to. Enemies primarily came from the north, but Babylon was also north. So this certainly could refer to Babylon. Um, I think it is apropos, especially in light of chapter 5, speaking of this woman carried off to Babylon. So two go to the north. I'm not going to go into the colors and, and, you know, they could have meaning, but um, we really don't have scripture necessarily to fully back it up. There are four horsemen in Revelation that represent four time periods. Um, And so that's different. I don't see a direct correlation there. Going on, verse 7, strong steeds went out eager that they might go and walk to and fro throughout the whole earth. 
And he said, go and walk throughout the whole earth. And so they walked to and fro throughout the whole earth. And he called to me and spoke to me saying, see those who go forward to the north country. Again, Babylon in a wider context, those enemies of Israel. Those who go to the north country have given rest to my spirit in the north country. So God is at rest because the enemies have been defeated and his people are victorious. That's sort of scene one in chapter six, but scene two is truly amazing. And you see this, by the way, in, in Revelation 14, right? You have the three angels message. Then what do you have? The sickle being put in as uh, Brother Aubrey Porter uh, read for us. And you see it in Revelation. Revelation 18 and then Revelation 19. Christ crowned with many crowns. Well, you see it here in Zechariah also. As these, this, this vision sort of seamlessly goes into the rest of the chapter. And let's look at that now. <clears throat> and this is the coronation. This is what just thrilled my soul this week as I was studying. And uh, I've got to share it with you. Behold the man whose name is the branch. From his place, he shall branch out or grow up or sprout out or spring up. Speaking of Jesus, right? This is messianic for sure. He shall build his temple, the temple of the Lord. Yes, verse 13 gives more emphasis to it. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne. Now your biblical minds, when you put those two things together, should be thinking, no, something's not right here. Priests don't have thrones, right? What are thrones for? Kings, right? Not for priests. How is a priest a king? Well, it has happened in the Bible one time. It's quoted two or three times. Do you remember what his name was? I heard somebody, I think, real quiet. Who was it? Melchizedek, right? He was priest and king. But he was only a figure of the true priest and king, Christ. Amen? Christ, the priest and king king so he shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both that is the offices of priest and king shall meet in peace in Christ now the elaborate crown shall be for a memorial verse 14 in the temple of the Lord for Halam, Tobijah, Jediah, and Hen, the son of Zephaniah, even those who <clears throat> from afar shall come and build the temple of the Lord. So now we're out of the visions and we're back to sort of a reality there. They're rebuilding this temple, right? That's the whole thing going on in Zechariah. And apparently some latecomers that had come out of Babylon have brought their gifts to be used for the temple. Even those from afar shall come and build the temple of the Lord. Then you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me 
And this shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. Oh, that Israel would have. We have a different picture right now. But oh, that we will. And if you look at that verse 12, it says something very interesting there. It says, behold the man. Did somebody else say that in the New Testament? Do you remember? Yeah, Pilate, right? Behold the man. But as we close today, I want you to behold the man. This man, right, would be the divine son of God. But he was a fully a man when he was on earth, right? He was in the flesh. He took flesh. Behold the man as he carries that wooden beam to the cross. And you with him. Behold the man as the moon shone through a cloudless sky, as he there sweat great drops of blood in Gethsemane. Behold the man as he suffered for our sins. Ah, oh, what kind of a God do we serve today that would go through this because he was God? But he was suffering for us. Behold the man. From his birth, his entire life, to the cross, to his death, behold the man. And the man has a name, the branch. And the man will be priest and king. And the man will wear many crowns. As we close, let us think about the ascension. Right? That's when Christ went up. The disciples were there and they're like, there he goes. In the book of Acts And I want to read this to you as we close because that gives us a foretaste of the final coronation and what it will be like. All heaven was waiting to welcome the Savior to the celestial courts. This is speaking of the ascension, when Christ ascended to heaven. As he ascended, he led the way and the multitude of captives set free and his resurrection followed. Remember, there was a little mini resurrection there. The heavenly host with shouts and acclamations of praise and celestial song attended the joyous train as they got near to the city of God. The challenge is given by the escorting angels. This is that resurrection psalm, right, Jerry? Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Joyfully, the waiting sentinels respond, who is this king of glory? This they say, not because they don't know who it is, but because they would hear the exalted answer of praise. The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle, lift up your heads, O you gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting Doors and the king of glory shall come in. Again, the challenge is heard. Who is the king of glory? For the angels never weary of hearing his name exalted. Amen? Do you ever weary of hearing his name exalted? I hope not. They don't. The escorting angels reply, the Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. Then the portals 
of the city of God are opened wide and the angelic throngs sweep through the gates amidst a burst of rapturous music. There's the throne and around it the rainbow of promise. There are cherubim and seraphim, the commanders of the angel hosts, the sons of God, the representatives of the unfallen worlds. They're all assembled. All are welcoming their Redeemer. They are eager to celebrate His triumph and to glorify their King. But as he's coming, I mean, this is his big moment. You're not going to miss this, right? You're not going to back away from this. I mean, this is, you're being glorified here, right? But what does he do? He says, I can't do this. He waves them back. Not yet. He cannot receive the coronet of glory and the royal robe. Why not? Why not? Because he was thinking about you. He was thinking about you. He points to his wounded head, his pierced side, those marred feet, his hands, bearing the prints of the nails. He approaches the Father with whom there is joy over one sinner that repents and who rejoices over that one with singing. Before the foundations of the earth were laid, the Father and the Son had united in a covenant to redeem a man if he should be overcome by Satan. They had clasped hands in a solemn pledge that Christ should become the surety for the human race. This pledge Christ fulfilled. When on the cross, he cried out, It is finished. It was. And he addressed the Father. The compact has been carried out fully. Now he declares, Father, it is finished. I have done thy will, O my God. I have completed the work of redemption. If justice is satisfied, please let them come. Let them come. Let the tabernacle members come. That's what was on Jesus' mind. Not all the coronation. No, you, you. Well, the voice of God is heard proclaiming that justice is satisfied. Satan is vanquished. Christ's toiling, struggling ones on earth are accepted in the beloved. That's you and me. Come on and say amen if that's good news. Before the heavenly angels and the representatives of the unfallen worlds, they are declared justified. Where he is, there his church will be also. Mercy and truth are met. Together, righteousness and peace have kissed each other. And then I love what it says next. This is Desire of Ages, by the way, 834. The Father's arms encircle His Son. And the word is given, let all the angels of God worship Him. With joy unutterable, rulers, principalities, and powers acknowledge the the supremacy of the prince of life. The angelic host prostrate themselves before him while the glad shouts fill the courts of heaven. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength 
and honor and glory and blessing. Songs of triumph mingled with the music from the angel harps. Heavenly music. Till heaven seems to overflow with joy and praise. Love has conquered. The lost is found. Heaven rings with voices in lofty strains proclaiming blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what a day awaits us as the final coronation takes place and that crown is put on the head of Jesus. And yet even in that crown, as he looks at the jewels in that crown, he sees you and he sees me. We are the jewels in that crown to him. That's what he cares most about. Not having a crown on his head, but having his people with him. And oh Lord, today I pray that we may behold the man. The man Christ Jesus. God himself who came in the flesh to make all of this possible. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior we have today that loves with such amazing love. And so take our hearts. We surrender. We can't give you our hearts, but just take them, Lord, please. We, we do what we can, which is surrender to you, Lord. We want to be in that kingdom. We want to see that coronation. We want to see you glorified. We want to see you come for your sake. And may it be soon, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.